Hey everyone, welcome back. A new setup is a little different. We probably look a little strange right now. Nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> Brennan, that's right. Uh, if you're listening on audio, we changed our setup a little bit. Um, we're at a table instead of just in the big armchairs. Uh, we know that that was associated with our name, but you know, we thought having a table might be nice as well. So if you're listening just on audio and you want to check this out, go to our YouTube channel, check out this new setup. It's kind of nice. It feels cozy. It does. It's intimate. It is. Wow. <laughs> Starting off hot. Hey, how are you doing today, Brennan? I'm doing fantastic. That's great. Got a little hip pain. I just need to stretch. Other than that, you know, like so good. You're just getting old. That's okay. That's probably. Yeah. So who was our guest last week and what will we potentially be talking about today? Our guest was, if you will, Christopher Gilbert. Christopher <laughs> Gilbert. That's right, Nick. I was testing you. Um, and we talked all things ethics and decision making and leadership um, as it's relevant to like the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very. I I'm been so fascinated lately about this. I I won't say it's necessarily religion but i think it's this fundamental like driving force of society's ethics Mm -hmm. and where it comes from and how we all tend to have like these very similar ideals and and standpoints on like what it means to do good and what it means to do bad and where that comes from as a whole because i think that's what he's collected into this book and the advice he's giving is a framework to do that in the context of business. But I mean, these are like base level human like thoughts mm-hmm. and actions and everything that we do. So it's just so fascinating to think about where these ideas come from. Yeah, I agree. Cause we talked with Dr. Richard Shell, who identified like his book in the conscience code. And we talked kind of in length about like what our conscience means and how our conscience develops a little bit. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot too, is like innately things feel like we just know what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it feels like there's, of course there's outliers, but there's a general understanding of what is right and what is wrong in our world. Yeah. And yeah, like it's, we could attribute that strictly to what, like biology or genetics or whatever and evolution, but maybe, I do really think that there's this like moral high ground being foundational in religion that has over time just impacted us so much. And yeah, whenever I think back to learning about what is right or what is wrong, I think about the golden rule, like we've talked about Mm -hmm. before, like the golden rule is at its core, the most important thing. And then different types of stories were told, um, and yeah, it just seems so foundational. Yeah, and it's but it's also interesting to think about you know the idea of okay, let's so let's think of each society, major societies on earth, right? Mm-hmm. Right now. And we've got such a vast array of religions and ideals that have kind of dominated certain certain regions and groups. So, for example, the United States is very clearly com- like has br- when we colonized the United States, we brought with us a Judeo-Christian philosophy that came from Europe, mm-hmm. right? Because those are that's where we came from. Um, so it's it's so entrenched in our 
like beliefs and our way of life and our the systems that we have in place here. It's interesting to me that that isn't always true of civilizations who are not on that same like Judeo-Christian type framework. Like for example, like, you know, not to overly, I'm not going to speak for um, like Middle Eastern countries, but like they have a very different per- interpretation and set of religious beliefs that are so deeply ingrained in their way of life. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see that, you know, there's a ton of overlap, but there's also some big differences. And culturally, there's, you know, things that we don't all do the same. So I think it's interesting also to think about a lot of the belief system that we have in this country, whether or not you were brought up in some kind of religious household was probably the influence of a shared religious belief at some point in our society. Right. Yeah. And that's weird to think about. Yeah. But then I think about how there's a lot of things in religion today, specifically speaking of Catholicism, because that's what I know most about that are just kind of ridiculous and that we've denounced and that we've started to move past a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if those things are there, um, I mean, I know both can be true that it can be true that we're, those are our foundations that are really impacting us and really affecting our conscience and our decision-making between what is white, right. And what is wrong. But at the same time, I think they were very wrong too. Mm -hmm. So like how much of it is just religion? Yeah, well, I I heard a really interesting point lately on a podcast, and it was talking about how back in when we did not have a thorough body of science to lean on for answers, it was extremely practical to have a religious belief to lean back on to give you answers to things that you did not have the capacity to have an answer for. Mm -hmm. As we developed more science... We no longer needed religion to serve in the same function that it once did. You know, we don't question what it is in the vastness of the solar system the same way that we do, like, because we've put somebody on the moon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we have a bit of a deeper understanding of what's out there. Not fully. Obviously, there's like the way out there stuff that, you know, we can obviously contemplate. But from a just having answers, even just biologically, how life is created, how far, like they didn't know that stuff, right? So they needed answers. They needed origin stories. They needed something to fall back on. So I think where we're experiencing, I think a lot of like this weird increased spirituality, decreased religious belief, you know, a lot of people searching for meaning and not really knowing where to go. I think we're just at a weird point in the timeline where people have answers to a lot of things that are can be provided through science and religion didn't adapt to then still provide answers in a number of different ways that people still need it's still trying to serve as this like origin story end all be all kind of a belief system but we're past that so religion needs to move with it and i think i think honestly in in a weird way kind of going back to the more philosophical foundation that religion can provide not necessarily for the purpose of genuine answers but as a genuine guide and then where appropriate i think there is a huge intermingling that can be done between science and religion to 
to come to the same answer, but understanding it from like a religious interplay rather than throw out the sign. I feel like a lot of people get turned off by the religions because they're, they're told that this is the answer that you, that you only answer you need. And people are like, well, that's stupid because I have all this science information and like, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, that's where I think some of the dogma can take over and it can be like, no, like this is it. This is the end all be all. Like you have to believe this. And I think it just doesn't serve people anymore that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see if there, and I think this is what Jordan Peterson is doing with a lot of his lecture series and his books, to be honest, are all off of that foundational um, work he did with his first book, Maps of Meaning. But it's just, there's there's a much deeper understanding of the human experience that can be pulled out of religion. And everybody still like lives that experience, Mm -hmm. but we're not using it to guide people through that we're we're trying to force like this you know less serving part of religion on people that they no longer are seeking so i think it's just like a weird dynamic at the moment that we've kind of lost touch with yeah and we're pretty quick to like blame or judge with that like trying to have empathy for people who are very extremists on one side um, I think it, it definitely comes from a place of like, my faith has gotten me to a very good place and it makes me feel a certain way about my life and ha- has provided meaning in my life. And if you're coming up and telling me that, well, science explains this and you're wrong and everything you've been believing is believing in is wrong, then it's like, well, that doesn't feel too good. And so it, I could see both sides of like scientists saying there needs to be a realization of what's going on. And then I can also see the far side of people who have very strong faith and religious beliefs of like, this has served us really well. We want you to be able to experience the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like I said earlier, there's those outliers of people who are just extremists and ridiculous and ridiculing others. And it's too much. Yeah. But it's this us versus them thing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be that, which is interesting because like evolution is the hot button topic of like trying to get into religious schools and like evolution didn't exist. And it's like religion just needs to evolve too. Yeah. hundred percent. You know? So yeah. it's, so, um, I think there's a religious place for the evolution story is the way that this needs to be approached. Mm. Like where could religion have had its hand in the evolution story? Just say God did the big bang. Right. Boom, evolved. Yeah. And that's it. No, I mean, it's not what Genesis says. But there's a but there's an opportunity to create an interplay there that I think is just being completely missed because people are digging their heels in. Oh yeah, deep, knee deep. deep. Yeah. So, uh, in his book, Dr. Gilbert broke down three step model of how to make ethical decisions. If you haven't listened, he talks about level one is we're thinking about ourselves in the decision process. And then level two is we're thinking about some of us. And then when we go all the way to level three, we think about all of us in a decision-making process. And so an example he gave in the conversation was you pull up to a four-way stop. um, You think about how you don't want to get a ticket from a cop. So you stop at the stop sign. And that decision is level one because it's about yourself. If you start to think about, uh, okay, I want to stop because I know others will stop and it's potentially dangerous to not stop and I will potentially cause harm to others. Uh, then you're moving on to level two and three, thus making a better decision ethically. And 
This leads to better outcomes in terms of cooperating with others, but I think also internally with ourselves. Brendan, what are some of your initial thoughts on that? And then I also will have another question for you. The first thing I think of is it's like the growth mindset thing. You know, like if you're if you're with only thinking about the way things serve you, then you're not you're probably living in like this very closed off world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that a little bit of the point he's making is that the further you move out in that in your context of your decision making the more world benefit you can create out of that right like if if your intention is on making things better for everybody all the time then i think there's there's like a the ripple effect of that is goes much greater than the like the selfish thought process Mm -hmm. and i think like the in a lot of people think of like like in business when like if somebody is like stealing part of your market share or whatever, like you don't think that there's, you know, enough business to go around and like you're very closed off, but like why not everybody increase everybody's market share and then the whole industry booms rather Mm -hmm. than thinking about like, oh, this one customer is going to make or break me. Right. And like they stole them or whatever, right? So I just think there's, there's so much more large-scale impact to be had from these decisions that are going on in that third right in that third tier yeah yeah i really like how he broke down this model because it's so simple Mm -hmm. right it's something that we can all remember very easily whenever we do have a decision that we need to make but also in our conversation he identified a moral dilemma which we could do a whole separate moral dilemma for this but I am curious about your thoughts and I'm kind of throwing you in the hot seat right now. Dude, I love the hot seat. <laughs> so in the conversation, Dr. Gilbert laid out the example of, so you're a student in a class, professor gives you a grade and he gives you more points than you actually uh, scored on the test. And he asked you like, what are some excuses you can make? And I remember you saying like, well, professor, that's like your fault for making the mistake. Like I'm going to take the points. Yeah. But my classic, classic yes. excuse. So my question is, if this happens, mm-hmm. say, okay, this is the last test of the semester or quarter. You're, let's say a community college student mm-hmm. and you're needing a certain grade in this course in order to transfer to your dream school. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that grade, this you'll scenario be is not going to work for me. I'll already tell you why. <laughs> Brennan, it's called the hot seat for a reason. Finish it. <laughs> so you need a certain grade in this course. Let's say you need a B. You're at a C plus right now. Perfect. And you As I should be. take the final test. Mm-hmm. You do okay. Average. You, you feel like you do okay. Mm-hmm. The professor gives you the exam back. You get more points than you were actually that than you actually scored on the exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and you catch that as you review the test, but you're also very excited about getting the test score because now you have a B in the course and you're able to get into the university that you'd like to attend. Uh Do you say, screw it, I'm taking these points? Or do you say, this is wrong? Like internally, this is wrong. I can't do this to myself. See, I'm also in a different place in my life now than I was when this would have been happening to me. But here's what I'll say. I've got a couple of responses to this. Mm Mm-hmm. One, the idea of a dream school is just kind of laughable to me. How so? Like, 
I just didn't take my my academics. I not I didn't take them. I didn't not take them seriously. Mm-hmm. I just like dream school. Like I wasn't a dream school kind of a guy. <laughs> like, That's fair. Like I went to state school, and then I just picked the school with my program for my master's. That's fair. It wasn't. There was no thought into it. I didn't really care where my degree was coming from. So we're also making the assumption that I actually noticed that I got more points. Yes. You because saw. often I would have just looked at my grade and been like, sweet. No, you know, I'm not always doing an audit unless it's part of like the class to review the answers. Oh God. <laughs> Sometimes that's the case, right? It is. It is. Um, but so no, it's not that. And what you I would it. say is like, I, didn't ever really care of the outcome of my academics. Oh, you're dancing around right now. <laughs> no, and but this is this is my point. I'm not because I can't speak for old Brendan in the middle of school. Yeah, but like in a I'm in a place right now where like again I went to state school with zero expectations. I had a sub 3.0 GPA in high school, and I did really well in the classes in college because I enjoyed them. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll reframe a yeah, little re- bit. Please reframe the question because my honest answer is like I wouldn't have cared and had I caught it, I would have brought it up. You would have? I mean, I think I would have. You would have potentially had to stay well, an okay, extra but, year in order to go to that. Well, okay, but then here's, here's a, another element to the question. Mm-hmm. Do I know full well that it is having a negative outcome on other people's grades or, or outlooks in the class? If it's just like... The teacher graded it. I found it. It's not going to have any impact on anybody else's grade. And there's no like dedicated forum of bringing the, you know, like we're not reviewing the answers in class. I probably just would have left it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, fair. Because I know that that very likely would have been the scenario. Right. If okay. I'm like, if the teacher's in class and they're like, hey, Here's a different scenario. Let, let's let's turn this on you, and I'm going to ask you a real one. Teacher goes, hey, I cannot remember whose test it was on, but there's three people out there. Oh, damn. And I know I gave you points on an answer I should not have. If you catch it, please tell me. Mm-hmm. You tell them? So this was not the exact scenario I was in. Mm-hmm. But I had, I went to community college and I had a dream school being Berkeley. Like Mm -hmm. I set my mind that I really wanted to go there. (laughs) (laughs) And so I knew that I had to uh, obtain certain grades in certain courses. And so it it never came down to one specific test, Mm -hmm. but it would be a really hard decision of whether or not I would go up there. Yeah. If you, if you felt like you had something writing on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I never felt like anything was writing on my grades in a class or anything. I failed anatomy. I'm like, I didn't care. I wasn't like going to go in the next time around and just like cheat my way through and not learn it. Like I was going to say, you I, know more about anatomy I'm than a bi- anybody. I also, I will not claim that I never looked at somebody's test for an answer or whatever. I think everybody has. Right. Like, and there's like the, or you overhear somebody talking about it in the middle of the test, somebody else. And you're like, all right, well, fuck, I, I need that answer. <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> yeah. But here's what I will say. I never cared if I did awful on a test. I really mm. could not have cared less. I didn't like it, but like it was never 
it never trumped me actually feeling like I knew the information. Yeah. And that's a shame, right? Because we do have a system that's set up to where we kind of do need to care, but like, it shouldn't be that Mm -hmm. way. It should be like, how much am I getting out of this course? What am I learning? Yeah. Yeah. But I want to rephrase this question. (laughs) All right, send it. (laughs) So in your master's of HR program, okay. You have one more course to take. Okay. And if you fail, you have to retake that course, which means paying tuition again, which also means staying out of the job market again. I mean, like, I made my bed all sleep in it. Like, if I literally did not pass the class and I had to retake it. Yeah. I mean, I like, the only option is to move forward. But you could But what's the scenario? Like, It's the same scenario of, like, you get the test back, they give you extra points, and you could turn that in and fail the class, or you could turn not turn it in and move on with your life. I think it would... like that circumstance isn't enough circumstance for me to make a decision on what I would do or not. There would need to be more details Mm -hmm. like the, are we reviewing these in class? And like, they're brought up on a, on a group forum. If you're just like, I'm sitting at home, I see that I got more points, I guess. But see, like, this is also super tough because so many points are like written response and that's subjective. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would, I mean, I don't understand really a scenario and maybe this is why it doesn't really resonate with me. I don't know that there's a scenario where I, it wouldn't be blatant Mm. to the professor grading. Right. You know, like, like a multiple choice. Like if I found that the answers were wrong between me and a classmate, you know, I would tell the class and I got it right. They got it wrong. Well, then maybe it'd be like, hey, do you want to tell the teacher that like you got the points wrong? And if the result was mine was wrong and I needed to be docked the point, like, like I just, I'm not thinking that far ahead about like, <laughs> what is this going to do for me in the long run? Yeah, that's fair. So like, it's super contextual. So I get, I get the point. Likely I will say I would not have done anything, but you're a bad man. <laughs> I just don't under like that situation. I don't know that I'd care. You would care a lot, wouldn't you? Like, well, see, and here's another thing. Like, my master's program, you gave me a scenario that wasn't accurate. Yes. Because what if it was? No, no, no. <laughs> what I mean is, in your scenario, you said I was going to have to pay tuition again, but you pay by the unit. So if I had to retake one class, it's not like I'm paying full year's tuition again. Yeah. So, like, it would just be to retake one course. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a minimal This is expense. a 16-unit course. See, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like the the situation wouldn't need to be like super specific and like I still wouldn't even know the answer. But like on the on the spotty framework you gave me, <laughs> I can't imagine I would have cared so much. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Well, Brennan again. Like I know. remember I remember in fourth grade was the first time I failed a class or failed a test. Mm-hmm. And it felt so terrible. I think I'm just numb to like failing. Oh my at this god! Point. Dude, fourth grade was the same year for me. It was yeah. a history test. Same with me, and it was like on the American Indians and like the Native American Studies chapter, and I just like could not get the dates down, and like probably because it wasn't taught well. <laughs> probably wasn't. But my point is like, and then I, pr- I I at least failed one test year from there on out in all of my academic career. Yeah, 
I remember this specific instance in my fourth grade classroom. One of my classmates was like, a lot of people did bad on this one history exam. One of my classmates was like bawling. Like I've never seen them so broken up. And I was like, oh no, they must have done so bad. And this was a really smart person, like mm -hmm. academically. And I was like, what did you get? And they were like, I got a C plus. And I was like, oh God, I should feel so much worse. I got like a 54. <laughs> like I should yeah. be heartbroken, but yeah. I was. You're over here thinking that they got like an 18%. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, I must be pretty proud of myself. Like yeah. the smart kid's doing worse than me. And right. I was like, nope. Yeah. They're just all beat up. And you know what? Another thing, I was always in school, like in my, in my like, in 35 kids in my, in my K through eight, mm -hmm. right, was by no means the smartest person in my class. There was, I was the bottom quarter, 100%. And then high school, again, probably bottom quarter. I was going to say, so you, I remember. I just I remember, had no self-esteem wrapped up in my academics ever. Yeah, can you explain further? I just, like, I never felt except for maybe the first few tests that I failed, mm -hmm. there was never a point where I was like, I failed this test. I'm a bad person. <laughs> I just, it didn't rattle me. That's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just, what did you care more about? Hmm. You know what? I always growing up, like I didn't like disappointing people. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would have been the hard part of failing. Yeah. Um, but like there's family footage of me like putting myself into timeout when I would do bad things. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I was I was like I actually cared a lot about like following the rules. We need to start a Patreon and then post that family footage on the <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> we have to That'd be the first one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that'd be funny. <sighs> But yeah, like if I didn't follow the rules, that was worse for me mm. because that was something that I 100% knew it was 100% in my control to follow. And if I did not follow them, I knew that that was on me. Hmm. That's way more important. Yeah. I don't know where like that got instilled in me, but that was, just, that's just my, yeah, I didn't, I never cared academically because like it's like that's not a reflection of me no that's so important and i think that speaks a lot like to who who you grew up around and also your own temperament right mm -hmm. but yep. yeah like that's it that's a huge strength the first time yeah, that right. i got like in serious trouble like i remember it was somewhat similar in that i'm not gonna detail what happened um That'll probably be on the Patreon as well. Yeah. <laughs> but Gotta start saving I stuff. was like, I was so hard on myself and I was broken down. This was like sixth grade or something. And I was just like beat up for like two to three days. And I was like, mom, like what's going to happen? Like I, I feel terrible. And she understood. I'm very grateful and was like, I can see like how you really care about this and how much empathy you have for this situation and how you're beating yourself up about it. Like I don't, see fit to like really punish you mm -hmm. like i see that you're punishing yourself yeah and i was like oh wow yeah like that's that's important but it's it's so funny the one of the 
in my mind, like looking back, probably one of the more like transformative getting in trouble experiences of my youth. <laughs> Again, I'll save this for the Patreon also. Yeah, is, yeah I was about to say, where is this going? Um, Like I had always remembered this scenario. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up like three or four, a couple months ago at like a family dinner. My parents did not even remember it. Wow. And I was like, man, this had such an impact on me. Like fear, fearing, like doing the wrong thing, getting caught and getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And my parents didn't even remember. Wow. So it clearly was more impactful and significant for me. Yeah. Maybe on letting myself down in a sense than it really was for them or anybody else. I think that's, you bring up such a good point because that's something I have been thinking about recently of like how we interpret situations and how memories stick with us personally. And we we just assume that others have the same experience. Right. So I was telling you, um, for those who know about like Rich Roll's podcast, he did an episode with David Cho, who's, if you don't know David Cho, he's like this famous artist. Uh, but David Cho has been through like recoveries, talked about his life in a lot of different aspects. But something that he brought up during the conversation was that uh, when he was about six or seven years old, he went to this like super fancy restaurant and he grew up uh, relatively poor. Um, and he went with his family, uh, his dad and his brothers. And then they went with one of the dad's friends and they went to this super nice restaurant to meet up with the dad's friend and the dad wanted to be kind and was like, I'll pay for everybody's meal. And then when they entered the restaurant, there's a lobster tank. And one of the friends or like one of the hosts or something was like, oh, like you should try this lobster. It's all fresh. And David Cho being the six-year-old, not knowing what this was or what this was like, uh, how much this cost was like, oh, that'd be great. And so when they went to order, he said, uh, I want the lobster. And he had no idea that it probably costs hundreds of dollars or whatever. And his dad just like gave him a terrible scowl. His brother is like, just were like, David, what the hell? Like, this is, what are you thinking? Dad's paying. And then when he got the meal, he was, he said that he was like so intimidated. He was crying, but everyone watched him and they were like, you have to finish this. Like you ordered it. Like we're paying for it. And he mm -hmm. said he was crying while he was eating this meal and it was terrible. And then he talked about how, as he grew up, he has, millions of dollars now every time he goes to a hotel in vegas or wherever he'll send two lobsters up to the hotel room and he won't even eat them but it's something he'll do every time because that memory was so like stuck in his head and then he talked about how he made that connection in therapy and talked to his dad and like his brothers and they were like we don't even remember that that happened mm -hmm. like we had no idea that that was a thing yeah and it's like wow man it's it's and then I think about a lot of different memories I've had and I'm like, God, this was something that was so intense. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure everybody around me right. remembered. Right. You're, you're certain that everybody is like bothered by it or somehow it was impacted by it too. And they don't even really remember themselves. They might forget completely. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And it can torment people. Yes. Yeah. Or, I mean, it can torment people. It can be, you know it can have a positive impact as well if like you can learn the lesson from it and all that. But yeah, it's crazy. What was it like for you to find out that your family like doesn't I honestly it, it took me a minute. I didn't believe them. I thought they were like <laughs> joking. And you were like, guys, are I was you like, serious? I was like, there's no way you don't remember. I was like, you do not remember this. Like I really had had a hard time comprehending the fact that they wouldn't remember. Yeah. 
it's strange because yeah. it's so the feeling so visceral whenever you think about that memory oh yeah yeah it's deep well Very. we've gone for about 32 minutes that's right we can keep this one a little shorter you know let the anything people you want to say week. to just maybe wrap up the whole conversation well, I think so the past couple episodes have really been about leadership and ethics and like Dr. Punamali was mindfulness and leadership. Dr. Shell was the conscious code and thinking and leading with our values. And now Dr. Gilbert about making ethical decisions and thinking about these three levels. So we've been on a little bit of a business tear and I think mm-hmm. it's been really helpful to think about because sometimes I can get lost in this like business world that it's something that's different from real life. And what these three people have done for me, at least is really tie it back to like, we don't have to separate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like mindfulness doesn't have to be separate from the business world. Our values don't have to be separate and our conscience and um, how we make choices and who we are as people doesn't have, don't have, Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be separate as well. So yeah. Yeah. It's um, all people. Just the context is different. Yeah, it's been a, a kind of beautiful three-episode journey. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts that you'd like to share, Brennan? No, I think I think you uh, said it wonderfully. Well, our next episode next week is getting back into evolutionary psychology. So, <laughs> you know, we love that. We've done that many times. And we talk about the impact of law and human behavior and a lot more. Mm. It's a very good one. I it really is. enjoyed that conversation. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. We hope you have a good week. If you're listening right now, thank thanks. <laughs> we really appreciate it. We uh, we can't thank you guys enough. So see ya. Bye.